It is when prayer and fasting come together that we loosen our grip on this earth and we tighten our hold on heaven. There is this unbelievable thing that happens in this discipline when you marry prayer and fasting. And because we touch on fasting, I want to spend the next several weeks talking about prayer and really learning how to pray. This past Wednesday, uh, we talked about the intrinsic nature of prayer, how uh, even unbelievers in specific situations, when things come up, they pray. And, and we talked about even the gentleman for the Buffalo Bills who had a very serious uh, heart issue happen on the field where he literally went into cardiac arrest and uh, was not breathing for nine minutes. Thank God that he seems to be recovering well as neurological faculties are in place and things are going great. But the beautiful thing was not just in that moment how all the prayers on the field were happening and in the stands, but then you started seeing news pundits all throughout the week saying, hey, we're going to pray for this young man. And some of them actually on air praying for him. And even now as he's recovering, people being very specific believers who have these kind of positions who in the past, I think, were a little hesitant to say anything. But in the moment, we're saying, hey, let's not forget that the reason he's doing so well is because of the power of prayer. And so you're seeing this impact. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I don't think at a time where so many believers are taking an opportunity to pray and fast that you're seeing prayer on a major stage and in a public way. And so I really want to focus in on prayer and really learn how to do it. Yes, there's the intrinsic nature of prayer, but then prayer is also developed. Francis Chan once said, uh, I developed a prayer life by praying for one. Like that's how you grow in your prayer life. That's how you develop. And sometimes you hear somebody else praying and you're like, man, I don't I wish I could pray like them. And you can if you prayed as much as they did. Uh, a lot of times it's not just because they have a better vocabulary or because they're holier, there's greater favor on them. It, a lot of it is more, they have been more intentional about regularly spending time with God and talking to him. And anybody that you talk to on a regular basis, you are more comfortable talking to them. It's just very natural, right? Like you, your best friend, you don't even have to say words. You can look at them from across the room and make a joke and each of you know what's going on because you have that kind of relationship with them. And so part of all of this is making sure that we grow in our relationship. But I want to take time really to focus in on a verse in Luke chapter 11. And just so you know, this is kind of going to be a two for one series. We're going to do part of Luke 11 on Sundays and another aspect of Luke 11 on Wednesday night. And so I encourage you, make an effort, especially this month, to be with us Wednesday night. We're going to cover some different stuff, but both of them are found in Luke chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to that. We're going to look at the first four verses. We're going to go a little old school today, and we're going to read in the New King James Version, because I just think it sounds better this way. Uh, this is a, a very famous passion of scripture, especially if you've been a football player, an athlete of any kind. This is covering what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Listen to what the verse says. Now it came to pass as he, meaning Jesus, was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Over the next several weeks, I want to break down the Lord's Prayer. And I think this is so important that the title of this series 
is teach us to pray. And I think it's so powerful as a disciple, they didn't look at Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us to preach like you preach. They didn't say, Jesus, teach us how to cast out demons the way you cast out demons or, or teach us how to walk on water the way you walk on water. They didn't ask to be taught those incredibly powerful, miraculous things. No, they saw the kind of prayer life that Jesus had and they said, I want to be like that. I want to do that. Hey, will you teach us to pray? And here's an important aspect of that sentence. Notice that it's will you teach us to pray, not will you teach us how to pray. A lot of times with the Lord's Prayer, especially depending on your cultural background, we've grown up maybe reciting it without really understanding what it is. And the prayer was never meant to just be recited. As a matter of fact, this is the second time in the Gospels that we see the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, we see it actually a little more fleshed out. So it was more of a model, not necessarily what you had to say repeatedly. It reminded me when I was in high school, if you went to high school with me, don't bring this up. But... There was, um, this was way before like the internet was very prominent and uh, there was an album that had come up from a band that I liked and there was a song and you know, remember how like you used to buy the CD and the lyrics would be in the CD, remember that? And you'd open it up, some, some hip hop songs you needed that, I didn't know what they were saying, so I needed to read the lyrics. And so I remember I just wrote down all the lyrics on a notebook and I would go to school and I remember telling this a few girls, I was like, oh, I'm going to hear this song I wrote and I would just read it to them and the song hadn't really gone out on the radio yet because it was still off of the CD. It wasn't one of the singles. And so the girl's like, oh my God, that's so good. I was like, right? And I just had, and I even, it was so long before the new song came out, I forgot about it. And so at one point the girl comes up, she's like, you didn't write that song. That was a Boys to Men song. I was like, oh, they didn't write it either. Somebody else wrote it for them. Um, but my point is it lost its impact because it didn't come from me. It was somebody else's song. And so that's the problem sometimes when we uh, minimize prayer to reciting these words is we do it, especially when it's a recital type of thing, it loses a lot of meaning because it's just going through the motions, just, hey, repeating this much. You don't even really understand fully what he's saying when he's praying the Lord's Prayer. And so what I really want to do is emphasize not just how to pray, but what they're asking Jesus is, will you teach us to pray? Okay? Not about perfecting a style or a technique or memorizing a prayer. It's about learning to pray, to pray more, to pray all types of prayers, to pray without ceasing. In general, I want to pray. So teach me how to, or not just how to, teach me to do it, right? Teach me to pray. Give me that insight that makes me want to do it every single day. This is the great request that they're making of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So if the disciples understood the importance and the impact of prayer, if Jesus often would withdraw to the lonely places to pray, who are you and I to not take the opportunity to say, God, will you teach me how to pray? Will you teach me to pray more? To pray in a way that really helps us. Now, the Lord's Prayer is broken up in a few parts. There's the introduction and then there's six petitions. And we're going to go through that over the next several weeks. But today I really want to focus in on the first three. And what the first three do, in my opinion, is it helps you with your alignment. 
and it helps you get in sync or get in line with God. Tomorrow, I'm going to be taking my car to go get a tune-up. It's just about that time. And for the most part, everything's good. But a lot of times when people take tune-ups, part of it is because the car is out of alignment. What does that mean? That means you're driving, and even though you're holding on to the steering wheel, it keeps going one way or the other. Right? You ever had that? Especially if you're driving, maybe it's like your first car and they got you like, you know, that 1992 Cavalier or something. And, and you're driving and it just keeps wanting to go left. It keeps wanting to go left. Right? Even though your intention is to go straight, even though the design of the car is to go straight, because the wheels are out of alignment, it's going to keep pulling you in a direction that you don't want to go. Our sinful nature constantly is at odds and trying to pull us out of alignment with God trying to get us to veer off the path that God has us on. And what prayer does, especially what we're breaking down in this first portion, is it aligns us back with God. It aligns us back with what God desires, with what God wants, with who God is, and helping us get in alignment with that so that when we pray, we're praying in alignment with God and not through our own agenda. So if you notice the first three portions, right? It says, Our Father who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Three yours, or three thys if you're getting really old school on me, right? Three aspects where he's saying, hey, this is about you, this is not about me. So often, I think part of why we might fail with prayer is because we're selfish in how we do it. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. It's about what God can do for me. It's about me, 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 me. And I love that the Lord, when he has given you an example of, of prayer, he starts with helping you understand that it's never been about you. It's about the glory of God. It's about alignment with God. And here's the crazy part. When you are in alignment with God, you end up blessed. So it still benefits you, but it's about putting uh, the right alignment, not putting the cart before the horse, making sure that things are the way they're supposed to be. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we need to write down, number one, is your alignment with your name, right? Alignment with your name. He says, hallowed is your name. The word hallowed is a, an older word, simply means Holy. Both those words, in the simplest aspect, means set apart. It's different. There is no God like our God. There is no one like our God. God's name is holy, and so we must have great respect for his name. Especially in the ancient times and the times of the Bible being written, a name had significant impact. It was not just an identifying marker, but it summed up who you were. It was the entirety of your identity. It was everything about you. Your name was all-encompassing. I think about it sometimes, especially, and I said this in the past, but man, Latinos, we got to do better because when we give out names, it's usually your biggest insecurity, and that's what we're going to name you. So you're going to be gordo or flaca or ugly or whatever. We just call you based on what we think your biggest insecurity is, and it becomes all-encompassing. And people are like, they like being called that? Sure, they like being called that. They've never liked being called that. Right? I remember when I was a kid, my friends, at one point, they nicknamed me Ojos Borrados, which in English translate erased eyes. Because they're like, it looked like God just erased half of your eyes. I was like, dude. And it's just what they would call you. Now, if any of you call me that, the Lord punish you. <laughs> I am not Pastor Ojos Borrados. I am a, a grown man. <laughs> but what he's saying, he's saying, he's saying this. Listen, hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. Have some respect for my name is what God is saying. 
And this is not just a, a little thing. This was actually one of the Ten Commandments, right? Right in Exodus chapter 20, the third commandment we see, verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now, we do this in a few different ways, or we've come to use this in a few different ways. One of them is just using it frivolously, just throwing God's name out there without understanding the impact of it. Uh, another, the most popular way, I believe, and, and what I feel like sometimes we've limited this commandment to is profanity. And how many of you grew up knowing like you were going to catch it if you, that's why we say, oh my gosh, just you change it a little bit. You could say it, I guess. And so we, we grew up thinking, don't take the Lord's name in vain, meaning don't say it in profanity or don't say it while cussing. But I think there's an even greater offense than either of those. One that we might regularly do without really paying attention and one that truly grieves God and offends his name. And that is hypocrisy. When you claim the name of Jesus, when you claim the name of God, you are representative of him. We are ambassadors of the Lord. Right? And so if I was an ambassador of the United States to Belgium, and in Belgium, I end up making a fool of myself, I end up getting caught up in some scandal, I end up doing something dumb, it's not just Joey Silva who gets in trouble in Belgium, but the name of the United States is now dragged through the mud because that's who I represent. And I can be like, well, that's a whole country, how can I? Well, I show up in this country, this foreign land, as a representative of my country. Well, the Bible says that we are foreigners as believers, that this is not our home. When we are here on this earth, believers, we carry the name of Jesus with us. That's literally what the word Christian means. It's little Christ. It's, we first see it in Acts. It was kind of a nickname that they gave the believers. It's all oh, those, those little Christ, those people that are trying to look like Christ. And so Christian literally means you're trying to look like Christ. You bear the name of Jesus Christ. And so the biggest issue we can have is not bearing that name appropriately not carrying ourselves in a way that honors and respects the name of Jesus, claiming the name of God, but acting in a way that disgraces him. We have to be very careful in understanding the name that we bear is representative, not just of us, but of all believers and of God himself. So when you do something foolish, it bears that name. I remember my mother once told me when she was very, very young and, and first went to a church, her friend from work, a coworker invited her. She was hesitant to go. And when she went, one of the first people she saw, a greeter, was another person that worked at their job. And immediately she thought, oh, well, this is some kind of church because that guy was known for being very inappropriate with the women at the job place. And so her first reaction, her first indication of the whole church and of God himself was a pervert. And that's how she saw it. Be careful to understand that sometimes your witness is tainted just because you're not living up to the name that God has given you. And that doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean that we have to understand we represent something greater than ourselves. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 through 16 says, as obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So if God is set apart, what he's asking of you and I as believers is to be set apart. Now the truth is that's very difficult to do. So that's why we pray. 
It's why we remind ourselves, God, you are holy. And because you are holy, I need to be holy. Because you are set apart, I need to be set apart. Where this is complicated is your sinful nature wants nothing more than to fit in when God is calling you to stand out. But no, I just want to be like everybody else. I just want to hang out with everybody else. We act like that's a teenager thing. That's a human thing. To always want to fit in. And what God is saying is you were never created to fit in. You were created to be set apart. And anyway, how are people going to recognize me if you look like everyone else? I need you to be set apart. And so when we pray, the very first thing we have to remember is that God is holy. God is set apart. And if I'm going to align with God, I need to be holy too. Remember, holy is not just perfection. We'll reach perfection when we get to heaven. But holy is the attitude and the understanding that the name I carry bears weight. The second thing we need to understand is not only is his name holy, but we say your alignment with your kingdom is just as important. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. All right, what does that mean to be aligned with his kingdom? Well, if you look at the New Testament, the Pharisees had a very hard time accepting Jesus as the Messiah. The Messiah, the chosen one, the one who would come and free the captives and and rescue Israel and, and be the conquering king and raise up a new Jerusalem. This is what they've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years. When they looked at Jesus, he did not look like the part. He didn't look like a conquering king that they expected. They thought the Messiah would overthrow Rome and free Israel, the country. They were expecting an earthly kingdom like the time of Saul, David, and Solomon. Jesus, with his group of fishermen, tax collectors, and zealots, was not what they had in mind when they thought about a conquering hero. But if we are not careful, you and I end up making the same mistake today. The kingdom of God is not about establishing a theocracy, okay? Here's what I mean by that. A theocracy is a government run by religious leaders. It doesn't matter who you put in the White House. It doesn't matter who the Speaker of the House is. It doesn't matter who runs the Senate. It doesn't matter what the legislation or the Supreme Court judges are. That will not bring the kingdom of God on earth. That is not going to establish that. And sometimes we have limited our our pursuit of God's kingdom to creating a theocracy in America. And that's just, I mean, we are not the center of the world. And that's just the reality of it. The kingdom of God is not about establishing laws to make people moral. Now, does that mean we don't need just laws? Of course we need just laws. But if you think you could limit that and bring the kingdom of God by establishing laws, the Old Testament shows us that that's never been enough. They constantly wanted a king and a kingdom like the ones they saw around them. As a matter of fact, they were never even supposed to have a king. God was telling them, I am your king. But the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, when they looked around the other nations and they saw their kings, they said, we want that. And so Jesus allowed them to have what they wanted in order to show them that it's never going to be enough. And so if we expect to have earthly kings establish the kingdom of God, we are sorely mistaken. The kingdom of God is not about just kingship over the world. It's about kingship over your world. That's where we start with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God has to be established first in you before it could ever be established through you. It has to begin in you. And what do I mean by that? Is God king over your life. And we just saying that, right? We, we just talked about his kingship. But I think sometimes we have a problem where we love Jesus the Savior, but we have an issue with Jesus the Lord. 
Savior means he set me free, and we think it's the freedom to do whatever we want. But Lord means he has final say over what we do and how we do it. Lord means you're in charge, you're the boss, you dictate everything. When you are the king, it's all on you. Your kingdom come. Listen, Luke chapter 17, verse 20 through 21. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about, I am the kingdom of God, right? When, when the kingdom came, it was through Jesus. And when you and I have a relationship with Jesus, when we accept him as savior, there he is. Now, I like that it uses the word mist. Because where else do we see it in the Bible? Where two or three gather in my name, there I am, where? In the midst. So, where is the kingdom of God? It's with us. Where we gather, where we are, where we establish. So if God is not king over your life, over your world, it's going to be very complicated to have it be over the rest of the world. You cannot desire the kingdom of God, but then reject the king. That's just how it works. You cannot desire the kingdom of God. We can't sing songs like what we just sang and then reject his kingship over our life. We can get so caught up trying to build our own kingdom that we ignore the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? Can I just step on a few toes? Is that okay? I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm gonna do it anyway. So. But listen, here's, here's how that happens. Parents, when you prioritize your children's sports, overcoming a church on Sunday or on a Wednesday night, you just told them establishing that kingdom is more important than the kingdom of God. If I can just be very transparent. Okay, if you prioritize their hobbies over his kingdom, you've told them what's more important. When you tell them, when you say, this, oh my God, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna really get into it because I'm not the youth pastor anymore. But I used to load, I used to go oh, and fire me up and I could say it does the same thing for Pastor Izzy. When a parent would punish their kid by not letting them go to church, take away the video games, take away all the other stuff, get them off social media, take their phone back, like take, do, get them off the basketball team, do all those other things. But the one thing that might actually help you in the pursuit of what you're doing, you want to eliminate and so we have to remember, we, especially with our young people, are telling them what the kingdom of God is, but we do it the same way. When you're too busy to serve the kingdom because you're building your own, you just told me which kingdom's more important. Oh, you know, Pastor, I just I got work a lot and I got, I got just you can't do anything. You can't serve in any way. You can't help in the parking lot or greet with the ushers or help out in our nursery on a Sunday when you've already planned to be here. Oh, well, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just busy building my own kingdom is what's happening. But the kingdom of God is going to outlast your kingdom. What you establish on this earth, moths and rust is going to tear it away. But what you establish for the kingdom of God will last forever. We lose track of our purpose in the kingdom of God when our focus is on the kingdom of man. And so what is God saying? He's saying, hallowed be your name. God, I want your kingdom to come long before my kingdom. I want you to establish your reign. And here's the beauty of it. We have a place in the kingdom of God. We're not some paupers on the outside of town. We are sons and daughters of the most high. This benefits you greatly if you align yourself with the kingdom of God first. And the third thing is this. It's alignment with his name. It's alignment with his kingdom. And it's alignment with your will, God. 
I want to be aligned with your will. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is important to understand. He's saying, I want your will to be obeyed on earth the same way it's obeyed in heaven. In heaven, God's will is obeyed by all, spontaneously with the deepest joy in a perfect manner without a shadow of unfaithfulness. And the believer must pray that such a condition should also prevail on earth. There is no questioning God in heaven. The ones who did, did not get to stay in heaven. Okay, so what is he saying? He's saying, I want your will in my life to be obeyed and followed as if I was already in heaven with you. The same way your will is followed in heaven may it be followed on earth. In other words, your will, your desire, your purpose supersedes everything that I desire and I purpose. Colossians chapter one, verse nine through 12. For this very reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with what? Knowledge of his will. That's what their prayer was. Because the writer of Colossians understood, if you knew the will of God, everything else falls into place. Right? Listen, that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. In other words, we have the capability to know God's will through the Holy Spirit so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. How do I live a life worthy of God? How do I please God? By following his will. How do I follow his will? The Holy Spirit enables you to. Right? And what brings that? Well, what comes as a byproduct of following the will of God? Bearing fruit in every good work. Meaning everything you do bears fruit. Something wonderful comes out of it. Okay? Growing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Look at the benefits that we get when we align ourselves with the will of God. This is why sometimes it's complicated for us because, uh, you know, our will is, is so strong and we don't want to align with God's will. And we act like God's will is meant to hurt us or to harm us, that somehow what we want is better than what God wants for us. And again, uh, my, my kids last night, for whatever reason, were up all night. Like they just woke up at one random time and thought it was time to party and hang out. And, and, and we're just so, and I'm like, please, I got to get up early. Please go to sleep. And, and they're just doing things. At one point, I'm, oh my gosh, this is how stubborn. My baby, the, the sweetest one too, she was so mean. Um, she was fussing and fussing. And at one point, she caught, it sounded like she was choking. And we're like, so I turn on the lights. I'm like, are you choking? And as soon as the lights come on, she starts giggling and shows me that she took her pants off. And I'm like, dude, did you just fake that on purpose just so that we would turn the lights on? And then she went, now come get me. And, and we, we, I mean, it's cute with children, but at the same time, what they don't understand is, no, no, what I want for you is to rest so that you're not cranky and angry and us fighting the next day and going back and forth. What I want for you is more important than what you want for you right now. And I know you don't get it because you're a baby, but if you just listened to me, kid, you'd be okay. 
right? Oh, I want cereal. I give him cereal. I don't want cereal. Yes, you do. That's what you want. Trust me. You don't like anything else I'm giving you. And so I get this back and forth with my children. And at the same time, God gets this back and forth with his children. Well, I mean, I know she likes me, but I don't know if I like her. She's not like, you know, my type or she's not really what I'm looking for. I'm looking for more like an eight or nine. It's like, dude, you're a two and a half at best. You think you're settling, she's settling. Be grateful that God brought you together. That's just, don't let her figure it out yet, man. Just, Just run with it. That was Edwin and Haley, by the way. But they got married, so it worked out. <laughs> I kid. I love them. They're awesome. That is what I said to him. Literally, I go, hey, Edwin, what do you think about Haley? He goes, I don't know. I've never, I never really liked white girls. I'm like, <laughs> I was like, Edwin. I said, Edwin, that woman is unbelievable. If she ever gave you the time of day, you would be a fool to say no. And then like two months later, he's like, she's the greatest. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> But could you imagine if God let Edwin have his will? Just some weird arbitrary thought he had. I don't know. I never, I was like, are you kidding me, Edwin? And sometimes God's looking at us like, are you kidding me? You keep fighting for this horrible situation, for this horrible desire. And what I have for you is so much more beneficial for you. And even more importantly, it honors me. My desire is that it would line up with God's desire. That's why when God says, whatever you pray for in my name, I will do it. It's not because he's some vending machine or genie in a bottle that you could just shake up whatever you want. It's as long as it lines up with his will, it's already what God wants to do. So what you need to understand, if I can kind of sum this up and worship team, if you can help me out, is that prayer is about alignment with God, not God's alignment with you. When we pray, We're not sitting here trying to change God's mind. God is changing your heart. So when you pray, you don't go in there right off the bat making demands and calling out things. Prayer should always start with aligning your heart to make sure, God, am I in the right place with you? God, am I living according to your will? God, is your kingdom more important than the kingdom I'm trying to build? God, have I been a good representative of your name? Before I ask for anything, I want to make sure that I'm in the right place. Before I have the audacity to make any demands from you, Lord, can I make sure that I'm following with the demands that you've given me, with the commands that you've laid on my heart? This is an important aspect for you and I to understand because it's one that Jesus gave us the ultimate example in. Jesus, being very same God in nature, part of his life on earth, was to give us a living example of how you and I are to live our lives. And one of the greatest examples he left that obviously left a huge impression on his disciples was his prayer life. One of the places he would often go and pray was in the Garden of Gethsemane where he would go alone and he would spend time with the Lord. The Bible says early in the morning that he would go and do that on a regular basis. And then there was one occasion where he went to go pray in the garden. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 39 through 44, it says, Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. Notice this wasn't uh, the first time he ever went to pray there. This was a regular routine. Prayer gets awkward when you don't do it often. 
right? Listen, I've, I've ran into people. I'm getting, oh, I'm getting close to my 20-year high school reunion. It feels weird to say that. But I'm getting close to my 20-year reunion. I see people that I went to high school with that I was so incredibly close with, and I'll see them at the mall or on the street, and immediately I'll try to not make eye contact, and they try to not make eye contact. Because it's awkward, right? Like, you immediately pull your phone, and you're like, oh, somebody called me. And you're just... Because you know it's been too long. We don't have the relationship we used to have. And so just seeing you randomly, it's gonna be an awkward conversation. But I will never again have a relationship with that person if I don't at least establish the new relationship and conversation and then keep up with it. Jesus could pray whenever, however, because he never stopped praying. It was a usual thing. And so in this poignant moment, he reverts back to a habit that he's developed, right? It says that he left that upper room and went to usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give into temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Jesus, on the precipice of the most painful and horrific experience that any individual has ever experienced in the history of humanity, knowing full well that the very people I have come to give my life for are the ones that are going to sneer at me, that are going to attack me, that are going to torture me, ridicule me, spit on me, and ultimately hang me on a cross. And not just that, because many people hung on a cross. As a matter of fact, on that day, two other individuals were crucified. But the greatest aspect of that pain that he was about to endure was understanding that the sins of humanity would be thrown on my shoulders. That I would bear the weight of all the sin that has ever been committed and will ever be committed. Think about the guilt that we've often felt when we've offended, when we've sinned, when we recognize the magnitude of our sin and multiply that by every individual that has ever existed and ever will exist. Put it all on a ball and throw it on a human being as they're being crucified. And Jesus, knowing the end from the beginning, he fully knew what he was about to endure. And remember, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And in that moment of humanity, he asked the Lord, if it's your will, take this away from me. Pass it on to somebody else. And then quickly corrects it. But I want your will above mine. Why? Jesus knew that he and the Father were one, that the name was holy. And it's because of that holiness that only he could endure that cross. He knew that the whole purpose of his life was to establish the kingdom of God. And he knew that God's will came before anything else he felt in his humanity. In order to endure all that was to come, he needed to be aligned with the Father. We don't know what 2023 has in store. The last two, three years have shown us that you never really know what's ahead. 
Some of us have all these plans and then a global pandemic, a war, uh, race issues, political issues, upheaval, things just go out of whack. You have no idea what's about to happen in the world or in your world. A loved one may get sick or pass away. Uh, something may happen. You might lose your job. There's all these sudden tragedies that are maybe going to occur, whether this year or in the future. And what I'm trying to help you understand is if you allow the Lord to teach you to pray, when tragedy hits, you already have the instinctive nature to know what to do. It's not a scramble. You go to your usual place. Think about this. Anytime tragedy hits, you will automatically go to your usual place. If you're not living a life according to God's will, you will automatically go to that usual place of sin. You will automatically go to that usual place of comfort that's not God. You will automatically go to the usual places. So when you establish a prayer life, your prayer life becomes your usual place, your Mount of Olives. So that when these very critical, important moments in your life occur, you go to the usual place and you do your usual thing. You talk to your father and you say, Father, align me with your will. Because what I'm about to go through is difficult. But I know that you will send your angels to strengthen me. I know you will guide me by your hand. I know your spirit will lift me up. I know that I'll be able to endure because you are with me. And I am aligned with you. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to close this out. team to just lead us in a chorus and I want you to just meditate for a couple of minutes as they're singing as they're leading are you aligned with God this morning it might just be a little bit off but a little bit off can take you way off course are you aligned with God's will for your life is his name of the utmost priority for how you represent him are you desiring his kingdom above your kingdom his will be on yours. As the worship team leads us, I want you to just begin to talk to the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to confirm what he's already been saying to you in this message.